The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Weissman back in, double tight end, play action pass, Rudolph may run it, he will, his second touchdown of the day. He had options right there, nice job, good safe choice by Jake Rudolph, but he had C.J. Fedorowicz wide open in the back of the end zone. Excellent play calling by Greg Davis, fools the entire front for the Bears, and just scampers in again. A nice answer by the Hawkeyes after Missouri State scored 14 straight. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeyes star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's home win over Missouri State and he previews the upcoming game against in-state rival Iowa State. We also have our weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs which include Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook as well as sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Brent Balbinot's Press Box Report and both of the reporter's notebook shows this week with Scott Docterman and Susan Dank. The Iowa-Missouri State game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Steve Fiziak and Danon Hughes. A nice job in play-by-play and analysis. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeyes Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's home victory over Terry Allen's Missouri State Bears, and he previews the game against Iowa State with the Cyhawk Trophy on the line. Marv, that was a lot closer game than almost anyone expected. It does break the seven-game losing streak. What were your overall impressions? Well, it was a win, uh, first and foremost. I mean, that's the great thing about it is, you know, at the end of the season, they're going to add them up, and, you know, that may be a win that's critical in getting bowl eligible or, you know, even, you know, possibly a January 1 bowl. So it is what it is. I mean, I, I you know, it's one of those things where I think you probably have an agenda of, of numerous things you're trying to accomplish throughout the course of a game. And it probably, a lot of that got thrown out. And it was just a matter of let's just win this thing at the end. And and unfortunately, you know, it was a missed opportunity to to expand on our offensive schemes and, and, and expand on the development of our young quarterback and, and hopefully get him ready for Big Ten play. I know a lot of fans, I think, felt unsatisfied after that game on Saturday. Saturday. Do coaches and players feel the same way, or is it more like what you were just saying—a win's a win, and you go on from there? I think I think there's a lot of that. I think the, it's kind of a workmanlike philosophy, uh, and ultimately that's what it's about. I mean, that's what you know, college football is about—is winning and moving on, kind of. And then you add up, you add them all up at the end. But you know, as a player, you want to play well. 
and and you know if you haven't played well, you know if you haven't played up to your potential. And I think I think a lot of the players sense that and had that feeling when they walked off the field that it wasn't as good enough, as good a, you know as they could have played. And and that's the frustrating thing. And, and as you're getting ready for an Iowa State or you're getting ready for a Big Ten schedule, you I mean you only get what 12, 12 opportunities to showcase what you can do, and you don't want to waste those opportunities. And and uh, you know fortunately for us, we got the win and, and we get to move on. But um, you know like I said, I think there was some missed opportunities there. Last week you talked about the offense going out in this game in particular, thinking we're going to score on every single drive. That certainly was a far cry from what happened, but especially in the first half, the offense put up terrific stats offensively, but it was just completely unproductive. Talk about that. Yeah, it was uh, It was one of those things where I, I really felt like we were kind of having our way with them uh, offensively to some extent. Uh, you know, we're running the ball efficiently, not nothing big, no big plays. We had a couple nice play-action passes that, that, that extended plays and got longer yardage, but not an overwhelming, you know, dominant where we just, you know, we're the better team, you know, and I think of Wisconsin at times when they just line up and, and you can't be stopped, you know, and, and, and that, that's, you know, obviously frustrating. It's tougher as a play caller when you can't line up and know you're going to get four yards at any given time. But, you know, I thought we were efficient running the football and, you know, we obviously played to our strengths down the stretch there and, and ran a lot of inside the outside zone. And, you know, for me, I just wanted to see a continuation of what we really liked in the first game, which is a, a pretty diverse offense, spreading the ball both horizontally as well as vertically. And, uh, you know, it's. I guess I'm. You know, as a as a fan, as a as a hawk, I'm glad we won the game. But as a fan of football, I mean, you know, obviously, and kind of seeing the. You know, out to the future, we got to try to get this young guy at the quarterback position, you know, ready to to, to be competitive and, and do all the things and make all the throws he's going to need to make to be competitive in the Big Ten. It might be easy for fans to put too much emphasis on Iowa's struggles against a, a fairly unsuccessful, at least in recent years, FCS school like Missouri State. Is it fair to do that, or I mean, what do you take away from the the, the way that game played out? Well, I, you know, I was actually on the committee that uh, was interviewing coaches when they were applying for the job. And Terry Allen was one of the guys that we talked to, and I, I actually was very, very impressed with him and, and his abilities from an X and O's and a schematic standpoint. I really felt like he had a great uh, vision of how he wanted to run offenses, how he wanted to attack defenses, and, and then ultimately how he was going to communicate with his players. And I, I was always impressed with that. And, and I kind of, I actually met with a group of people on Friday, and I told him, I said, "Here's the deal: you're going to find out where people think I was is." vulnerable because the one thing that he's going to do is he's going to come out and he's going to get after those areas in the running game and the passing game you know and, and I think we saw some of that they just didn't have the athletes to finish through and follow up but but ultimately you could see that they were throwing some deeper balls and, and missed on a couple over the top and and had some success uh you know with with some aspects of their offense but ultimately our defense I thought did a good job of keeping them in check for the most part and um you know but but that being the case you know that's where I saw it I thought our defense played sound fundamental still still you know putting a lot of stress on our outside linebackers to try to cover the to play the run and the pass, and I think they're they're well equipped to do that and, and very effective at it. I still worry some somewhat about you know when you try to keep linebackers in and you start matching up with really skilled slot guys uh, and trying to get them that coverage in the in the slot you know in the in the slot mid range passing game. It's a difficult difficult task for those guys. It, it, it's a work in progress, but that's um, that's kind of my thirty thousand foot view. Eleven penalties, a hundred yards, killed some of the offensive drives. Did didn't help defensively either, although ultimately the defense for the most part was able to contain Missouri State. How does a coaching staff 
approach dealing with that particular issue after a game where you have that many penalties. And that's a pretty unusual situation for a Ferentz team, too. Yeah, I mean, the one thing, you just have to you have to create game situations where guys start understanding down a distance. They don't, they start understanding, okay, if it's a short yardage play, i got to tighten down my, my stance or my, or my, my, my split, have a tighter footwork uh, so I'm not overstriding, I'm not reaching, those types of things from a holding standpoint. And I'm expecting slants and slices and things like that. So, but that's, you know, you got to create situational things. You got to just create awareness and you got to create all that, all that gray area when you, when you're blocking downfield and you got white gloves on, on a, on a red jersey or whatever it is. I mean, it's those things get en- enhanced and you got to make sure that you're really disciplined as far as is getting things in the front and just, and just being a stickler on the, on the details. And, and that's, that's what they do. You know, that's, that's why they'll get them cleaned up is because they'll continue to work on them. Iowa's offensive pace versus Missouri State was really something to watch. First week, it, they've got no huddle exclusively now through two games, which is pretty stark enough the way it was. In that first game against NIU, it was kind of variable pace, some running the play clock down to the end, some going fairly fast. But last Saturday, you saw Iowa run quite a few plays with 30 seconds plus or minus a couple on the play clock. Uh, that was kind of fun to watch, really. It is. And a philosophy that we've always, uh, that I've always kind of tried to have is, and I think a lot of people have, is if you feel like you have the better team, get more snaps, you know, get more offensive opportunities. And I think that's probably what the mindset was a little bit is, you know, let's make sure that we're, we're getting the line, we're getting more plays and more opportunities to score points. And, you know, obviously the, 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 the nature of the game then becomes a factor when it becomes 21-14, you don't feel as comfortable uh, with that strategy and you may start working some clock. But, but uh, you know, like I said, with the exception of the pick six, uh, which is kind of a fluky deal, the defensive end dropped out and got underneath it and made a great play on it. You know, I mean, I, I thought I was in control throughout, so for the most part. So 86 plays on offense, total of 489 yards, but it was nearly a two-to-one ratio run to pass. Was that just the product of Missouri State's uh, 3-4 defense or what they were doing or just what was working Saturday? I think it became a comfort level in what was working and, and obviously, you know, Mark Wiseman was getting them in chunks of, you know, four, you know, eight, 15, four, you know, I mean, it was so that was working and, you know, just like, I think, you know, at some point they just said, we're going to get the win and get out of here and, and, and move on. And, and so I think that two to one ratio, the, you probably would think that they want to be a little bit more balanced than that. And, and I think through the course of, you know, different situation, you know, where you're going to face more third and longs versus third and one, third and twos when you're playing a team that you're running the ball effectively on. So I think that'll, you know, be a byproduct of let's get more to a 50 50 run pass minute. You're already touched on the pick six, but overall, I thought it was another impressive performance by Rudock. Heady game again. And he's really shown some running ability through the first couple of games. Yeah, I've really been, and I like the way he runs. He doesn't. He runs to keep plays alive, and then ultimately he will turn the corner and get get what he can get. And he's effective doing it. He's got some, you know, he's. I wouldn't say he's the quickest guy, but he's efficient and and you know got some speed. So well, that's going to cause some teams problems. Uh, you know, we've got that inside zone out of the gun that they can run, and, and just to keep that backside defensive end honest. And and uh, he's. I've actually been very very pleased. Like I said. I would have, you know, this would have been a game I would have liked him. You know, I don't know how many, how many times he actually threw, but this would have been a great game where maybe he could have thrown 30, you know, 30 plus times and really tried to work some corners, some posts, some digs, you know, all those throws, those mid-range, longer range throws that we're going to need, you know, if we're going to try to beat Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio State, and those types of teams going forward. You know, he was 19 of 28. He had at least four, arguably five drop passes where they were right in their hands. I mean, he could have had really terrific stats, but for that. But the other thing, just picking up on that, the way he goes about running, I think it's 
pretty marked the way he goes through his progressions. He's always looking downfield first. I did notice that Saturday in, in versus Missouri State more so than even the NIU game. Talk about the importance of that. It, it's critical to have a progression, and ultimately, a lot of times in some of these these uh, these schemes, is the defense is going to tell you where you need to throw the ball, and so you have a read. It, you have to read it out in a certain you know certain fashion. And if you're checking the wrong pace, if you're waiting for a you know a certain route to come open, and if it doesn't come open, then the shorter one is not going to be open because they have a lot more time to recover to it. So there's a sequence you have to go through. And then ultimately, you know, the first thing a good quarterback should do is check safeties. So as soon as he gets a snap, first thing you should be looking down is check and see where the safeties are. And that's your first read. And then you try to move those safeties with your eyes if you know you have a package or a scheme coming uh, that's going to attack them. So uh, I think I've been very, very impressed with his poise. And that's the other thing is it's just poise of it. You know, I mean, obviously he's a talented kid, but I mean, he doesn't look like he gets rattled very easily. And, and you know, he's had a couple bad things happen and it just seems to be he's ready to get up and line up for the next play. Yeah, other than the inside runs, again, you just mentioned it. When he's running, especially uh, going outside, it does still look like he's looking to pass. So th- that's not like, a, you know, the sort of traditional dual threat zone read runs that some of the quarterbacks are doing now. But when you've got a quarterback doing that, that also puts a stress on the defense. It's brutal because it, first, it's hard to guard a guy for more than four or five seconds. And, and I mean, it's hard to guard a guy for more than three seconds. But you start, you know, sending that play out five, six, you're moving in all kinds of different directions. Uh, there's more space. You know, it's just, it, it's a, it creates a massive problem. Do you come up and support? You know, now that comes up and support, now he's able to throw it over the top. So a lot of things can happen uh, when you do extend the play out two or three, four seconds. And, and that's, I mean, that's, like I said, he, he's very, very good at that. Two other pluses offensively. He threw to 10 different receivers Saturday. And for the people, including us, who talked about it last week, we're wondering if how many tight end schemes were in Greg Davis's playbook. You saw the tight ends involved a lot against Missouri State. Yeah, and, 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 and some athletic looking guys, you know, guys that look like they could actually scoot a little bit once they got the ball in their hands. And that's, you know, it's a nice compliment to Fedorowicz. And, and uh, you know, that's just going to be another, you know, I mean, it, you can line up two tights and still throw the ball effectively. Uh, obviously, the two tights gives you the, the strength in the running game. But if you've got those guys that can then run those intermediate routes and, and the rails and the corners and stuff like that, then it's going to make our offense more diverse. A great game by Mark Wiseman again. But you also saw your first glimpses of true freshman LaShawn Daniels, which a lot of fans were waiting to see. And then out of nowhere, wide receiver named Matt Vandenberg. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... I was surprised to see all these numbers, and in fact, I was scrambling to get you know a, a program, and so I could figure out who who all was who in there. You know, guys, I always got a hundred plus guys on the roster. You know, eighty. You know, I don't know how many are on scholarship, but you know, there, there's sixty five to seventy. Of those guys can play. I mean, if the if the guy in front of him goes down, the next guy's gonna be ready to go, and he's gonna be an efficient, good player uh, in Big Ten level, and, and and that's the depth that that Iowa has. And so, you know, as a as a player, you just hope you get those opportunities, man, and that's that's what you get excited about. Is, is a chance to go out and play in Kinnick Stadium in front of those fans and, and, and have that opportunity to make plays. And it was it was fun. I think Kittle, you know, that's George Kittle's son, I think, from Oklahoma, uh, is, is here and, and made some nice plays for us in the passing game. So, you know, that's great to see. Talk a little bit about what, in the first half, Iowa's offensive line, really the whole offensive scheme, they had trouble with Missouri State's 3-4 defense stopping the blitz. Second half, they went to a lot more double tight end sets, almost exclusively, and they did stop that blitzing success that Missouri State uh, had there in the first half. Can you explain to fans why that works against a 3-4 defense and is more necessary than against a traditional 4-3? Right. I think, first and foremost, a nose, when you put a nose on a center and you're going to run zone, it's tough. If they're slicing that that nose, I mean, he's getting on 
the edge of that center in a hurry. The center's snapping. So by the, the natural byproduct is, is his arm is now tucked up against his belly. And so as a nose guard gets on his right arm, he's not able to get that back up and get in a, in a, in a, in a blocking position. And so a lot of good teams, Northwestern does this quite a bit, they'll slice hard on our center. And I'm, I mean like a slant hard on our center. And then ultimately that's going to create penetration, which you don't want to have in a running in, in, in his own running game. And so a lot of times then you got to now you get your guards got to sit in there and help push on that nose. And that's why everything now your count gets messed up. And now you got to compress the play side. You, you lose a blocker on the play side if you have your guard sitting in there and helping and then pushing to the to the mic backer, the middle backer. But ultimately having an extra set of tight ends in there on the front side or backside now enables to get the edge as well. And uh, we can spend more time inside and helping on the nose. How valuable do you think it was for Iowa's offense to see and play against a 3-4 defense when they're going to face Wisconsin and Ohio State that are going to do that yeah. this year? And like I said, Northwestern's very efficient. Yeah. They'll, they'll play, like we call it a 31, where there's a one shade and a three shade, you know, like an outside shade on the guard, but then a, a one shade on the center. I think we'll get a lot of that. Northwestern's very, very good at it, like I said. And, and so it, it is it is great to see that and, and to have to, to understand that, you know, here's the adjustments we have to make on that. Iowa's defensive performance, again, taking into consideration the, the opponent, but still it was pretty good. You look at the stats offensively for Missouri State, pretty anemic. You certainly saw more blitzing out of an Iowa defense last Saturday than you've seen in a long time, especially on third down. They blitz nearly every third down play. You have to create pressure. You know, you cannot let the quarterbacks we're going to be facing feel comfortable sitting in the pocket. And, and you, you've got to find new ways to get, one, in the quarterback's head, but two, you know, try to get him on the ground and, 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 and make sure he's throwing the ball before he's ready. So it, it's any combination of blitzes that we can put together uh, and still say sound in the back end will be will be a huge plus for that defense. Because right now, like I said, the old way Iowa used to be was just rush four guys and get pressure that way. I'm not seeing that we're ready for that yet. Yeah, they, uh, they only got one sack. Missouri State's quarterback, but he was under pressure almost the entire game, and they only were one of ten on third down conversion. So I think that shows the success of that blitzing package last week. Yeah, and a lot of times if, you, if you're able to, you know, if you're able to, to win first down and create the second long, I mean, obviously now now you put them in a more passing situation, and then if they pass and it's incomplete, third and ten. I mean, the percentage of converting those third and tens versus third and four, third and five is a big difference. So I, I think you know probably did a good job winning first down and, and force them into you know predictable passing situation. Just mentioned it, the stress, however, that does put on the defensive secondary. Iowa, again, showed some susceptibility to completions of long pass plays. How do you think they go about addressing that? And especially, they're going to face an Iowa State team that relies on the pass a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I think Nichols an option, you know, bringing in five DBs and putting an extra quick body out there. Uh, the problem with that is now you're, you're more vulnerable in the running game, the running aspect of it. But, you know, the one thing we have to do is, is make sure that, one, you identify their stud. And you got to make sure that you got at least help you got you know underneath coverage but then you got help over the top and just constantly be aware where the stud is and then ultimately you know make somebody else try to beat you you know i mean that's kind of the philosophy that a lot of people have is just don't you know we know this guy can beat us let's make somebody else try to beat us and so like ultimately have our defense aware of who that is and then rally the football continue to 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 do what they do and that's you know stop the run make them predictable you know this is an orrin parker deal make them one-dimensional if you can make a team one-dimensional the advantage swings way in, in your direction After the Big Ten update, Marv previews the Iowa State game. He talks about the respective recruiting approaches of both Iowa and Iowa State, and he explains the importance of this football game to Iowa kids. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy! (laughs) How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard! 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. 
Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. In our Big Ten update this week, the conference continued its overall dominance over non-conference foes in the 2013 season by going 11-0, and 10 of those victories were by margins of 10 or more points. But things could be significantly tougher this coming weekend. The only Big Ten team to lose last Saturday was Indiana, which fell to Navy. The biggest win of note was Michigan over Notre Dame in the Big House, and there's little doubt, at least at this point in the season, that the most surprising team is Illinois, which easily handled a Cincinnati team that crushed Purdue the week before. Through the first two weeks of the 2013 season, Big Ten teams have a winning percentage of 875. That's the best start in at least 10 years for conference teams. Also interesting, given the history of the conference, eight Big Ten teams now rank in the top 30 in scoring in the FBS. During the first two weeks of play, Big Ten defenses and special teams are making major contributions. They've accounted for 18 touchdowns. That's been especially important for Michigan State state since it has virtually no offensive production. Little changed for Big Ten teams with respect to the national rankings after the first two weeks of play. In both the AP and the USA Today polls, five Big Ten teams continue to appear. Ohio State leads the pack, fourth in the AP, third in the USA Today poll. Michigan, Nebraska, Northwestern, and Wisconsin are all ranked, with the Wolverines jumping the most after defeating Notre Dame. Conference games of note this week include Illinois hosting a ranked Washington team at Soldier Field in Chicago, UCLA playing at Nebraska, Ohio State going to West Coast to play Cal, Wisconsin traveling to the desert to play Arizona State, and of course Iowa playing in-state rival Iowa State in Ames. The first of the conference's trophy games occur this weekend. The Hawkeyes and Cyclones battle for the Cy-Hawk Trophy, and Purdue hosts Notre Dame in its annual fight with the Shillelagh at stake. Great story. Compelling and rich. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the News and Events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Next, Marv Cook previews Iowa, Iowa State, and much more regarding the series and the two schools. Turning to the Iowa State game, they're coming off an opening season loss against UNI in Ames, and then they have a very unusual situation with a bye in week two. So they have two weeks to prepare for Iowa, but two weeks to think about that opening loss. Talk about the pluses and minuses of that. Well, I don't see any pluses after losing to UNI. I mean, uh, although UNI is a good football team. I mean, they got the 
quarterback's the real deal. They went in Wisconsin last year and almost, you know, almost took that victory home. And Wisconsin ended up having a pretty decent team. So uh, there's talent there. So Iowa State shouldn't be, you know, too ashamed of that. But ultimately, you know, I mean, that would be a tough one to sit on and not be able to play the next Saturday and get that out of your system. So, but ultimately gave them an extra week to prepare for the Hawks. And, and uh, you know, I know the one thing I can tell you about that staff is they'll have a great game plan in place. They will feel good about their chances. You can make a case that they've had the upper hand the last few years uh, in this rivalry. And, uh, you know, Iowa's got to find a way to, to uh, you know, go up there and, and win on the road now. They learned to win uh, at home, and, and now they need to learn how to win on the road and find a way to win on the road. And, you know, that's the focus they should have. But I, the thing I'll say about Iowa State is they are extremely well coached. They will have a good package in place for Iowa, and, and Iowa's going to need to play very, very clean football to get to the win. Get the win. Ference teams really struggled against the Cyclones in their first seven or eight years of his coaching time here. The Hawkeyes have won three of the last five, but Iowa State's won the last two in two almost completely diametrically opposite styles. A very close 9-6 to six game in Iowa City last year, and then that unbelievable multiple overtime game in Ames a couple of years ago. Yeah. You know, that's that's a sign of a good team. Just find a way to win. You know, and that's where I, I think our kids are at right now is they need to try to figure that out. And, and, I, and I think they will. I mean, I think there's enough talent there, and I, I truly believe in our senior leadership that, um, you know, they'll put together a great effort and a great game plan and, and go up to Iowa State and, 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 and be the more physical team. You know, I, I think our running game will will uh, ultimately be the deciding factor. You know, I think that's, you know, that's kind of how I see this thing playing out. I think Iowa's going to definitely play to their strengths, which is going to be Mark Wiseman and Bullock and, uh, and, and and pound the ball and then play action off of it and kind of get back to what what we've done and, and probably have a few wrinkles in there as well and continue to let uh, Rudock, you know, develop as a quarterback and, and make plays for the team. Talk about the job Paul Rhodes has done so far. Iowa State's not the easiest place to win. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a very, very difficult environment. You know, I got to know him over the, the years is, you know, once when he was at, still at Auburn, he wrote a handwritten note to me after I'd met him in Des Moines one time at Grandview College uh, meeting and visit with Coach Woodley. He stopped in and just chatted. And and, uh, and then now as the Iowa State coach going to camps up there and, and, and so forth. And then, you know, their staff, every year someone from their staff comes down and physically meets us at our school and, and talks about our kids, even if we don't have a recruit for them that year. Uh, so I'm very, very aware of, of the way they go about their business and, you know, the, the emphasis they put on this game and, and, and their kids will play motivated. I mean, they, they, their kids have, have bought in and they, they truly have, you know, the all in is on the back of their shirts. And I think they really bought into that concept. Your perspective now as a high school football coach is a little different than most people. Can you talk about or maybe differentiate a little bit the approaches overall, the two staffs, the Ferrin staff at Iowa and the road staff at Iowa State take in terms of their interaction, especially with Iowa high school football coaches and how they recruit kids from in-state? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think when Iowa State first came in, Coach Rhodes or, or Coach McCarney, the mindset was is they were getting they were getting beat in state recruiting, and I think they made an effort to really say, okay, we're going to make sure we're out there and we're covering the state of Iowa and getting you know or getting in the in front of the the best kids in the state of Iowa. And I think they made a concerted effort of that. And you know, at one point, I saw where they had a chart of each school and each little eight different segments of the state, and, and this coach was supposed to go to every school in that state. That coach was supposed to go to every school, and and it's you know. It's it's a daunting task, and I've actually seen coaches when they look pretty darn tired in the, the ninth hour of driving around local schools.
schools drinking coffee, you know. Uh, but 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 that's kind of what it takes, you know. Get out and meet the coaches and and, and hear what they've got to say. Talk about the kids that they play against and who might be a prospect for them. And and I, and I think Iowa, you know, is somewhat similar to that. Uh, I think they they you know have someone. I think one person is dedicated to the state of Iowa for the most part, uh, and then ultimately they're out across the you know the country uh, like everybody else is. But uh, you know, I think you know that's the one thing that I've seen is. I, Todd Sturdy, Tipton guy, played against him in high school. The Iowa State guy, Courtney Messingham, those guys, they've all been by. You know, I get handwritten notes from uh, Coach Rhodes in in Iowa. I get some from Coach Ferentz and get some faxes and stuff. So, I mean, they all, it's it's hard work. And that's that's what this game is. I mean, this game is recruiting. It's amazing how great a coach you are when you got great football players on campus. And if you're trying to bring in 20, 21, 22 kids a year, you know, it's, it's, that's, you got to get out there and bird dog a little bit. Kind of interesting that both BCS schools in the state of Iowa have started quarterbacks from Florida. Talk a little bit about uh, Iowa State's offense, their spread. They emphasize the pass. That will stress Iowa's defensive secondary. And Richardson is a dual-threat quarterback, the, the kind that's given Iowa's defense trouble the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're Oregon, you know, but they, they want to play up-tempo. They want to get on the ball and, 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 and stress it. They want to, you know, they'll, they'll do a lot of gun and shotgun and, and, and inside zone and, and, and boot and wag off of it and you know inside zone fake hit the seam hit the tight end down the seam and 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 play quick and then get the quarterback out there we can make plays and be athletic and and that's you know we we know it all too well that's tough to defend and all you gotta do is watch monday night football and see you know michael vick doing it in the nfl and it, it, it's effective and it works and and so that's kind of you know what they do and how they play and you know it's gonna it's gonna force iowa to play disciplined defense and you know i was i was we were talking about this because we had a, a great high school game this weekend and and sometimes the best thing you can do as a defensive player is sit and wait. And that sounds crazy. A lot of times, you know, you, you, you see an action and the action is designed to fool you and get you to chase. And then now you're out of position, you know. And so a lot of times you just need to sit, read it out, read your keys, and then make the play from there. And, and so that's what this offense will create is a little bit of confusion, a little bit of uncertainty. And then that's how they take advantage of you. Even in losing to UNI, they racked up over 400 yards in total offense. That apparently triggered some changes in the two deeps, including on the offensive line, there's two new starters, although one of those, their starting center, is out of this game due to injury. Center position is pretty important, especially for a quarterback with not a terrific amount of experience. Richardson played a few games last year. Um, then they've got some changes in the two deep defensively, too. Especially on that center position, what might Iowa's defense try to do to make his life a little more difficult yeah. on Saturday and Richardson's as well? Well, we just, we, I mean, one of the things we just talked about was get a, get a nose on him. You know, I mean, make him, force him to snap a shotgun snap, try to block with a guy that's on his edge, it, it's difficult. I mean, if he gets to thinking about the block, then the snap may lag. Or if he gets to thinking, I got to concentrate on the snap, now he's a little, you know, a quarter of a second late on the block, and we got penetration. I mean, it's 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 difficult, you know. And if, if the guy's not used to snapping, uh, that could be a huge advantage for us. And, and uh, I mean, if the, if the mesh, the timing of the mesh isn't working, and the mesh would be, you know, if you get the quarterback gets the ball and fakes the zone read inside, I mean, if the snap's high and away, the mesh gets blown up and everything gets screwed up. Up. So it's just a matter of um, I, that's what I would do. I'd stick a nose over him, a big, athletic, quick guy, and, and see how he handles it. And they've got a redshirt freshman starting his first game at linebacker, Luke Knott, who's a legacy player. Yeah. His brother Jake uh, was in, certainly instrumental in letting the Cyclones hang on for that win in Iowa City last year, uh, now playing with the Eagles. What do you think that means for a kid to like follow in his brother's footsteps and yet not you know, try to be your own person? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because uh, Jake Knott is a great football player. I mean, that kid is tough, physical, 
incredible athletic. I mean, he, he's, he's a tough kid. You know, what he didn't have maybe in top end athletic skills, he makes up for with everything else, attitude and effort and just being a tough, tough football player. So I, I love him. And, and I'm sure his brother's cut from the same cloth a little bit. And, and to be honest with you, that if the one thing that I know about Iowa State's defense is they are very, very athletic. They may not be the biggest, you know, up front physically, but their linebackers can run and they're, they're explosive and dynamic athletically. Their deep, defensive backs are the same way. Charles Rogers, the starting corner from West High, is a, is a guy we're familiar with around here. Incredibly athletic, big corner, six-foot corner, you know, uh, physical. And so that's, you know, one of the things I think we'll find is, is that they will be athletic. I think we've got a, a strength size advantage on them. It's just, it's going to be one of those deals where can quickness overcome, you know, physical play. And that's going to be another big critical thing is like I said, because uh, I think we're going to line up and try to run the football. And if we can gobble up their front six, seven guys and, and can, you know, kind of take the fight to them in the, in the offensive line area, then I think that gives us a huge advantage. Especially given the success Missouri State had in the first half, do you expect Iowa State to blitz early and often in this game? You know, I would imagine that, that Coach Rhodes is going to have the mindset that, you know, Mark Wiseman can beat it. You know, uh, Bullock can beat us. These running games, the running game can beat us if we let it. And so they're going to do whatever it takes to force our freshman quarterback to try to beat them. Uh, and that's what I would imagine. They will have some run blitz designs, you know, which isn't necessarily to blitz the quarterback, but it's just designed to blitz the offensive line, create some confusion, you know, X stunts, things like that, to try to create confusion in our offensive line, you know, rubbing guys off so guys can't get up to the next level on backers. If they can have success do that and force the game into, you know, Rudox hands, then obviously I think Iowa State would think that would give them a great advantage. Kirk made an interesting comment on the Big Ten Coaches Conference call this week. Um, somebody asked him if, if he thought it was this game was more important for the Iowa kids on the team. And in, interestingly, each of these two teams this week has eight starters that are native Iowans. But Kirk's response was that, well, he thinks it's equally important for the other players, especially as upperclassmen. And yet in the past, you and I have always talked, there is something extra special if you're an Iowa kid and you're playing in this game to beat your in-state rival. I think so. Uh, you know, I definitely think so. And it, I mean, it's it's and, and the bigger picture is recruit. You know, I mean, there's a lot of kids that want to go play football in the state of Iowa. You know, they want to go to a winner and they want to go to a team that's on the you know that's moving in the right direction on the uprise. And you know, ultimately, I think the team that wins this game then has an upper hand in recruiting the state of Iowa. To be honest with you, so I think it does have an extra meaning. Plus, for a lot of us, it's it's a game that we remember. You know, obviously, I remember some Big Ten games when I was when I was younger. But the Iowa State you know game is is something that you know I can I can I can hear the voice. In fact, it was a play-by-play guy at Iowa State, actually. I can, I can hear his voice of some of the Iowa State games, you know, when, when Crutchfield and David Archer and those guys were playing. And it's you know, I mean, that's it's to me, it's that's one of the reasons you play. You know, is to, to try to be a part of those memories. The next win will be the sixth hundredth victory in, uh, in the history of the program. Are they going to get it in Ames? What's your prediction? Talk about the keys. Great question. I think they will get it. I, I don't sound as convict with, with much conviction as I'm, probably the Hawkeye fans would think I would have. Uh, it's only because I have so much respect for that staff and, and, and just kind of knowing how they play. But I, I just think that Iowa's running game is going to be uh, another. Another week to, to clean that up and, and to continue to make that a strength for us. Uh, I think up front we are pretty physical. Our running game is pretty physical, and I think it's going to be tough to contain that uh, and control that for, for any period of time. The thing about Ames, Iowa, it can always be windy up there. I mean, it can be 30, 40 mile an hour winds depending on the day, and that, that could be, obviously have a, a factor in the passing game, and I think that gives a, a strength and an advantage to Iowa as well. So, you know, my prediction would be that Iowa, it'll be a, it'll be a, a very, very tough physical football game. Uh, a lot of big plays here and there, but ultimately, I think uh, it'll still be a low-scoring game. I'm thinking like 17-14. Hawkeyes. Hey! 
this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Weissman back in, 95 yards rushing. He'll get the call to carry to the five. Excellent job up front, the right side of that offensive line. Weissman with over a thousand career rushing yards now, and this with his fifth 100-yard game in the last two seasons. Iowa's up 14-0 on Missouri State. Hawkeyes Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.